Good morning, everyone. I have the pleasure of reading to you this morning from the book of Leviticus, chapter 22, verses 17 to 33. But before I get started, I just want to acknowledge that this is the AM service, and perhaps like, um, or perhaps more than the PM service, I'm sure that everyone here is very mature, but in case there's anyone like me who still has a streak of immaturity in them, I just wanted to warn you that this passage contains the word testicles. So if you need to giggle, please, by all means, giggle now. And then hopefully we'll be able to keep the mood as we, as we go through the text. Let's begin. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to Aaron and his sons and to all the Israelites and say to them, If any of you either an Israelite or an alien living in Israel, presents a gift for a burnt offering to the Lord, either to fulfill a vow or as a freewill offering. You must present a male without defect from any cattle, sheep or goats in order that it may be accepted on your behalf. Do not bring anything with a defect because it will not be accepted on your behalf. When anyone brings from the herd or flock a fellowship offering to the Lord to fulfill a special vow or as a freewill offering, it must be without defect or blemish to be acceptable. Do not offer to the Lord the blind, the injured, or the maimed, or anything with warts or festering or running sores. Do not place any of these on the altar as an offering made to the Lord by fire. You may, however, present as a free will offering an ox or a sheep that is deformed or stunted, but it will not be accepted in fulfillment of a vow. You must not offer to the Lord an animal whose testicles are bruised, crushed, torn or cut. You must not do this in your own land. And you must not accept such animals from the hand of a foreigner and offer them as the food of your God. They will not be accepted on your behalf because they are deformed and have defects. The Lord said to Moses, When a calf, a lamb, or a goat is born, it is to remain with its mother for seven days. From the eighth day on, it will be acceptable as an offering made to the Lord by fire. Do not slaughter a cow or a sheep and its young on the same day. When you sacrifice a thank offering to the Lord, Sacrifice it in such a way that it will be accepted on your behalf. It must be eaten that same day. Leave none of it till morning. I am the Lord. Keep my commands and follow them. I am the Lord. Do not profane my holy name. I must be acknowledged as holy by the Israelites. I am the Lord who makes you holy and who brought you out of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. Thank you, Will. Well, what a passage. <laughs> what are we going to talk about this morning? Man, I never thought I'd hear some of those words mentioned in church. But uh, if I haven't met you before, my name is Ben. I'm the community pastor here in it's my pleasure just to open this up for us this morning and talk about this. 
And uh, believe it or not, our passage has everything to do with holiness, holiness. And I wonder what comes into your mind when I say the word holy. Maybe it's a statuette of the Virgin Mary, something like that. Maybe it's a priest in purple robes. Maybe it's someone with a perfect moral record, seemingly. The Bible describes God as holy hundreds of times. And our passage this morning gives us an opportunity to test our understanding of holiness. More than that though, I'm even more excited about it because it represents an opportunity for us to know God more deeply. To know the God who is called holy. And what could be more important than that? Now, another reason this passage is so important for us to lean into is because far too many Christians look at Leviticus, the book that Will just read from, and other books in the Old Testament as inferior and irrelevant. Now, we can probably empathize with that after what we just heard. I mean, the passage that was just read for us was talking about all sorts of foreign concepts like sacrifices. But we need to be challenging that way of thinking because that way of thinking, thinking that the Old Testament is just inferior and it's not relevant to us anymore, just isn't biblical. Um, it isn't the way the New Testament thinks about the Old Testament. For example, Paul, uh, speaking to Timothy in the New Testament, he writes this, he says, from infancy, you have known the holy scriptures, the Old Testament, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Now, Paul penned those words as early as 60 AD. Other New Testament books only began to be written as early as 12 years before that. So assuming Timothy is older than 12, we have a good reason to assume that the holy scriptures he knew from infancy were the Old Testament scriptures. That's what Paul is referring to in this passage. And Paul says, this is kind of radical, that we're not used to this, that the Old Testament scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Where would you normally tell someone to go if they wanted to know about Jesus? The New Testament. But here Paul is saying, no, actually the Old Testament helps us to understand Jesus. They actually point us to Jesus. How many of us believe that these days? The Old Testament was all the earliest Christians had to begin with. The Old Testament was their Bible to begin with. And the New Testament hadn't even been started to be written when Christianity first started in Jerusalem. God wants Christians to know their Old Testament well. And in his time on earth, Jesus said, before the New Testament was written, he said, the scriptures point to me. So we can get to know Jesus by studying Leviticus 22 this morning. You might be thinking, how is that going to happen? But let's see, let's see what happens as it un unwraps. Now, if you wouldn't necessarily call yourself a Christian, but you're here seeking God this morning... Uh, you're in exactly the right place. You're so welcome here. It's great to have you here among us. Leviticus 22 helps us understand what it takes to have a relationship with God. God is the fulfillment of your deepest needs and desires. And Leviticus 22 shows you the way to God. It's going to help us understand how we can have a relationship with him as we investigate the meaning of holiness. 
Now, the concept of holiness is what lies behind everything in our passage, and in fact, the entire book of Leviticus. If you did a search on the Hebrew word for holy, kadash, which reminds me of the Kardashians. Um, actually, the Kardashians, I'm pretty sure, have a Jewish background, so I'm pretty sure their last name has to do with holy, interestingly. Um, so the Kardashians, no, we're not searching that, we're searching Kadash. Um, you would find that if you search that in the Bible, you'd find it comes up more in Leviticus than in any other book of the Old Testament. I've got a little arrow pointing to Leviticus there. Um, it shows up in Leviticus more than any other book in the Old Testament. Leviticus is all about holiness. And it is especially about an unholy people living in relationship with a holy God, how that happens. The commands in Leviticus are part of God's movement toward us. You see, after we rebelled against God in the Garden of Eden, our relationship with him was broken. It was broken. And Leviticus is an important step in God's plan to restore that relationship. In Leviticus, God shows Israel how to live in the midst of his holy presence. God wants to live among us. He wants to walk among us as he did in Eden. But his holiness is dangerous to those who are unholy. Now check out this video. Um, it explains holiness and why it was dangerous for Israel. Um, I think it was, it's a really good video. It's from the Bible Project if you want to watch the full version later. But here it is. You've probably heard the word holy before, or at least sang it in a church song once or twice. And for most people, this idea is really just connected to being a morally good person. So God is holy because he's morally perfect. Yeah, that is part of it. But in the Bible, the idea of holiness is even bigger and more rich. What it's really describing is how God is the creative force behind the whole universe. He's the one and only being with the power to make a world full of such beauty and life. And so all these abilities, they make God utterly unique, which is the meaning of the word holy. So a helpful way to think about God's holiness is by using the sun as a metaphor. The sun is unique, at least within our solar system, and it's really powerful. It's the source of all this beautiful life on our planet. And so you could say that the sun is holy. And you can actually take this metaphor even further in that the whole area around the sun is also holy. Yeah, because the closer you get to the sun, the more intense it gets. Yeah, exactly. So that very power and goodness that generates all this life is also dangerous. I mean, the sun, if you get too close, will annihilate you. And in the same way, there's this paradox at the heart of God's own holiness, because if you're impure, his presence is dangerous to you. And not because it's bad, but because it's so good. If you want to watch the rest of that video, check out Bible Project online. But so God's holiness really refers to his utter uniqueness. He's the creator. He's the source of life. Uh, he is special. There is no one like God. God is pure goodness. God is pure truth, pure life, pure righteousness, pure grace, pure love. God is holy like no other. And this is why we say he is holy, special, unique, above us. And this holiness is what creates a problem for us when we want to move closer to him. Because we are unholy. We have done things that are so completely unlike God. You know, we lie, but God is truth. We covet, but God is generous. 
We tend towards pride, but God is humble. And unholy people cannot just waltz into God's holy presence, just as frail human beings cannot fly directly into the sun. So something needs to change. How can we be made holy? How can we be purified so that we can have relationship with a holy God? And this is what the book of Leviticus deals with. And in the book, we read about God dealing with the unholiness and evil and sin of Israel through animal sacrifice. Now, the animal sacrifice was a powerful symbol for Israel. Basically, the animal died in the guilty person's place as a substitute. Now, some of you might find that idea appalling, uh, but that's exactly the point. Animal sacrifice reveals how destructive our rebellion against God is. The penalty for sinning against the holy God is bloody. Death is the penalty for our rebellion. And the sacrificed animal was a symbol that reminded the guilty person of the severe penalty for their sin and rebellion. It reminded them of how utterly holy and, and pure God was. And it also reminded them of God's grace because God counted their unholiness against an animal instead of them so that they wouldn't have to die, so that they wouldn't have to be removed from relationship with him. Now, our particular section in Leviticus speaks about what kinds of sacrifices were acceptable for Israel. In verse 20, it says, do not bring anything with a defect because it will not be accepted on your behalf. Why? Well, the concept of holiness helps us to understand this. You shouldn't offer an ill, injured, or deformed animal to God because he is holy. He's not common, he's special. So Leviticus 22 tells us, don't treat God as unholy. Don't give him the worst animal in your stock. Don't pretend like you know what he wants. And don't cheapen God's grace towards you by trying to give him the bare minimum. Let me explain this with an illustration. And kids, I need your help for this one. Put your hand up if you're normally in kids' church on Sunday. I'd like to see that, kids. Oh, we've got a few. We've got a few here. That's awesome. All right. I need your help with this illustration to help mum and dad understand this. You need, you need to help mum and dad with this one, okay? So imagine you're at home and mum and dad have said to you, you're not allowed to kick a ball inside the house. But you go inside the house, you kick a ball and you break a window, all right? You break a window. Now, windows are pretty expensive. Let's say the window is $300, $300. Okay, so if the window's going to be repaired or replaced, somebody's going to have to pay the $300, right? Somebody's going to have to pay that money to get the new window. Now, in this case, in this example, mum and dad are really gracious. They're really kind. So they say to you, okay, we'll pay the rest of the money, but you can just pay us $10, or you can just mop the floor for us, which is maybe worth $10. So they ask you to mop the floor. So, here's my question for you kids. What do you think would be the right thing to do? Should we just quickly mop the floor so we can go back to play? Or should we take our time and try and do a really clean job? What, what do you reckon, if you want to shout it out? Over there? Yeah, take the time and do a good job, exactly. Um, do we think that mum and dad should accept that job from us if we just did it half-heartedly and, and left dirty spots everywhere? Probably not, probably not, right. Um, that's not acceptable. 
It's not acceptable because mum and dad have already been so gracious to us. They've, they've only made us pay $10 worth and, uh, and they've been good to us. And the same goes for God. The same goes for God. Giving him anything with a defect just wasn't acceptable. Not only because God was kind to Israel, he didn't demand the full price, but also because God is holy, special. We aren't to treat him as common or cheap. And in verse 31, God says, I am the Lord. Not simply a human being, not an adult, not simply a parent, but the Lord. Do not profane my holy name, he says. That means do not treat my special name as common. Do not profane my holy name, for I must be acknowledged as holy by the Israelites. Israel will not to bring weak or deformed animals to God because God is holy. And the one who is holy in and of himself has the right to tell us how to approach his holiness, whether we understand it or not. He alone knows what must be done to cure our broken relationship with him. And these sacrifices were a step towards that solution. Now, part of the reason we find the concept of sacrifice difficult is because we can't understand or really empathize with how killing an animal can pay off our debt. And on one level, that kind of thinking is completely right because the Bible talks about that as well. The Bible says, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So of course, these sacrifices couldn't make Israel completely right with God. Sacrificing an animal was like God allowing us to mop the floor when really we owed him every single cent we earned for the rest of our lives. The animals were only ever signs and symbols pointing forward to a greater, more effective sacrifice. It is as if God graciously allowed Israel a symbol, knowing that a fuller and more effective solution was coming. And you know, thousands of years later, John the Baptist arrived on the scene and he saw Jesus and he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, Jesus chose to be our once and for all sacrifice. Jesus was holy in and of himself. He was God in the flesh. And he alone was not only able but willing to absorb our unholiness and die in our place as our substitute. The holy God chose to take on our unholiness and die in it. He took our lies, our greed, our hatred upon himself and died in it upon the cross. And the cross ensures that you don't see God as brutal and cruel. You know, if we only had the animal sacrifices to look at, then we may possibly be able to misunderstand him in that way. But the cross shows us that even though the penalty for our sin is brutal, nothing less than crucifixion, God himself is not brutal or cruel. He is love. He is pure grace, the one who gave his life for you to pay the penalty that we were meant to pay. He is holy like no one else. You see, everyone else, all the common people like us, we might have left other people or strangers or enemies to pay their own debts, but God is not like us. He's holy. And so he chose to pay our debts on our behalf. The holy God humbled himself to an unholy death on a shameful cross so that we 
could be made holy. Hebrews tells us we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So I want to speak to those friends here this morning who are seeking God. I want to speak to you if you, if you kind of want to know God more, maybe you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. God is holy. His holiness is what makes him both beautiful and dangerous. It's beautiful because he's so unlike us. It guarantees that despite what we are like, he will remain unconditionally loving, unmistakably good, incorruptibly just, but yet his holiness is dangerous to people like you and me. Something needs to be done about our unholiness. It can't just be swept under the rug. And so until it is dealt with, we cannot safely be as close as possible to God just as we cannot safely be near the sun. And you may think that you can clean yourself up and become holy enough to get close to God. That's what religion usually teaches us, most religions. But the Bible claims that even our best works are like mopping the floor. They're not enough. In fact, Biblical language literally calls them filthy rags. They don't come anywhere near to repairing our broken relationship with God. They're not enough to get us close to God, but the Bible also tells us the best news in the world. God hasn't required us to work our way back to him. He's that gracious. Instead, he has drawn near to us, and he offers to make anyone holy who puts their faith in Jesus because he offers to count our unholiness against Jesus instead of against us. So I want to urge you, if you're seeking God, seek Jesus. Put your faith in Jesus. He alone can bring you into closeness with God, into that relationship that you and I were made to have, created for. Look to Jesus. Put your faith in Jesus. You can just pray to him and tell him that you want him in your life. It's that simple. You can just tell him in your own words that you want to surrender to him and you put your trust in Jesus. That gift is an offer to you today. Now, for those who have taken that gift, the Bible says that we have been made holy. That's good news for us. And that, in fact, God has filled us with his Holy Spirit. In the time of Leviticus, God dwelled in tents and temples But the sacrifice of Jesus is so effective that God has come even closer. He hasn't just chosen to fill a building. He's chosen to fill people, fill us with his Holy Spirit. As 2 Corinthians tells us, we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, and then it goes to quote, no surprise, Leviticus. I will live with them and walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. You see, God's plan has always been to live among us. And we have the privilege of living in the last days of that plan. We have the privilege of knowing God through the Holy Spirit. So if your trust is in Jesus, God lives in you. God lives in you through his Holy Spirit. You are like a temple of his presence. And this reality has a massive impact on the way we live life in 21st century Australia. Our new holy identity in Jesus and our new closeness with God through the Holy Spirit flows out into a holy lifestyle. Now, this is where we get a chance to put what we've learned about holiness into practice. 
because we're going to think about what does a holy lifestyle look like? Does it look like wearing purple robes? Does it look like the Virgin Mary? What does a holy lifestyle look like? Well, let's remember what holy means. It means utterly unique, special. And truly, by definition, only God is that. Only God is holy. God is the definition of holy. So a holy lifestyle is a life that reflects God to the world. 1 Peter, which is really excited to start that series in with you next week. 1 Peter says, Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, and again, this is another quote from Leviticus, Be holy, because I am holy. The God who made us holy calls us to be holy because he is holy. We're meant to image him and reflect him, to live in line with our new identity as holy people filled with the Holy Spirit. So how can we reflect God's holiness to the world? How can we reflect him? Well, what could be more like God than joining him in what he is doing in the world? Remember, God's plan was to live among humanity again to restore the relationship that was broken in Eden. He began to restore that through the sacrifices of Leviticus and in these last days, he is furthering that restoration through Jesus. So what better way to live a holy life than to join God in his holy plan to bring human beings back into relationship with himself again? In fact, this is a major reason why God has given us his Holy Spirit. When the first disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit, they went outside and started telling people the good news of Jesus, started telling people what God had done through Jesus to restore their relationship with him. And then Peter got up and he he preached this sermon. And about 3,000 people were saved that day. That's what the Holy Spirit did. It sent the disciples outward in mission. The Holy Spirit is calling us to live holy lives as part of God's holy plan. He has been given to us to help us continue the work of Jesus in this world, especially by telling people the good news of Jesus. You know, Jesus said while he was still on earth, he was praying to his Father and he said, just as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them, my disciples, into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. Notice the link between mission and holiness in those verses. We haven't been made holy to wait for heaven. Jesus didn't undergo excruciating pain and unspeakable shame so that we could run a Christian social club. No, Jesus made us holy to carry on with his holy mission. Religion thinks about holiness as something that we need to protect and preserve as something that we need to hide away for ourselves. But Jesus thought about holiness as something to give away to others. He was the first person in history who could touch someone and he wouldn't be made unclean by them, they would be made clean by him. And he has filled us with his Holy Spirit to go out and tell people about him and to bring them back into relationship with the God they were made to know. So how should we respond to Jesus' self-sacrifice? We respond by accepting it and thanking him for it and we respond by imitating Jesus in his mission to others by telling them the good news that God has made a way for them to find intimacy with him again. So how can you join God in his mission? What ways are you already joining God in his mission? Maybe for you it might be to join a growth group and to ask the people in that group, look, can you 
keep me accountable here. Can you help me to think missionally? Ask me that question each time we meet. How are you involved in God's mission? Maybe it will be to sit down and just plan out your finances and put a bit of money aside in your wallet that you can give away to people when you see them in need. In the hope, praying that in the hope that they might ask you why you gave that away. Maybe for you it might be to to think about how you can invite people into what you're already doing in life. Maybe you're full on, you're busy. Maybe you take the kids to soccer practice, great. There's probably plenty of people you can love there, build relationship with there. You can tell them about Jesus. You can invite people into your life, into things that you're doing in order to build a relationship with them, love them, pray for them, and ask God for opportunities to share the gospel with them. There are so many ways that we can get involved in God's mission. And I wanna end this morning by telling you a story about some wonderful ladies in our church. Because I think these ladies give us a picture of what a holy lifestyle looks like. Um, these particular ladies I'm thinking of, um, they, were just, they just serve God in their everyday normal life and they serve the local community. And as they were doing that, they met a particular lady um, who had a really difficult life. And uh, they had an opportunity to serve her and they got to know her. And slowly they spoke into her life, they loved her, they invited her along to our church and to ladies' groups. And slowly she started to hear about Jesus. She started to feel the love of God. And uh, I got told it one day that she wanted to get in contact with me and just talk to me on the phone. Because she wanted to tell me about all these ladies had done for her and how it had moved her. She wanted to tell me about the miracles that God had done through them. She, she told me about this one night when she was feeling particularly down. Uh, in the middle of that night, um, one of the ladies that was helping her actually woke up and just felt like, I need to pray for this person. And started praying for her, texted her that she was praying. And she was just like, wow, I can't believe that she was praying for me at this particular time of the night when I was struggling. And she called me up and she just told me about how she was feeling for the first time in her life that she is loved by God. And she said to me, I just want to know, how can I live for Jesus now? Like, How can I have a relationship with him and, and, and just live for him, what, what do I have to do? And I just got the privilege of telling her, look, you can just tell God that in your own words, just tell him. And while we're on the phone, I got the privilege of just hearing her pray and tell God, thanking God for his love and just surrendering her life to Jesus and asking him into her life and asking him to lead her for a lifetime. And I just think there's nothing better than that. There's nothing more exciting than that. And it's the holy lifestyle of some women just doing some ordinary things in our church that led us to that point, which is just so, so exciting. A holy life is a life that reflects God to others and reaches out to others to tell them that God has taken all of their unholiness and shame and offers to make them pure and holy as a free gift. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of being in your presence this morning. We are just astounded that you would give us your presence, your holy presence. Our brothers and sisters thousands of years ago could not enter directly into it. They could only live around it. But we live in these last days where we are filled with your spirit and for that we thank you. We thank you for that privilege, Lord. 
We pray that, Holy Spirit, you would well up within us, that you would fill us up to overflowing, and that our lives would flow out into holy lifestyles of mission, telling people about you, Jesus. Lord, use us, use this church, use this community. Thank you for what you are already doing in and through us, Lord. Lord, I just want to pray for those friends among us who might be seeking you this morning. Lord, we just pray that you would reveal yourself to them, that you would make yourself known to them. And Lord, just pray for those brothers and sisters, Lord, who are struggling to get involved in your mission, struggling to see how that might work, Lord. I pray that you would show them what that looks like, that you would show them how they can influence your mission, support your mission. Lord, help us, use us, and we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. We thank you that, Jesus, you gave your life for us to cleanse us and to make us holy, to make us clean, to make us right before God forevermore. We love you and we pray this in your name. Amen.